actually is inverted. The leader is at the bottom. Fill the hole top down. Lower ranking to the side and you as a senior rank can grab the shovel. You can learn from anybody. Yo, so we were just talking about leadership and I know in this podcast we talk often about leadership. So we were just talking about people in a higher position being mentored by people in a lower position and how they might take that mentoring as pretty much they're trying to belittle them or just count on their mistakes or talk about their mistakes and that's about it. I don't know what kind of experience you have with that or how can that relate to you, how you feel about that. Because I know me being in a lower position and having talked to people in a higher position, they automatically take offense. Mm -hmm. It automatically is, oh, who is this guy? And then they start talking about, well, you need to work on this. And then it just becomes a battle back and forth. Mm -hmm. But I don't know really how to approach that with them because it's not that I'm trying to belittle you or trying to tell you Mm -hmm. just how to do better, even though I am. That's not kind of what I'm saying is just, hey, we just need to do better at this. We need to do better at this for both of us, Mm -hmm. not just for you. And they take it as, oh, you can tell me what to do. Well, how about you need to work on your tech or your professionalism and, Mm -hmm. you know, just throw out buzzwords that really don't have a lot of meaning or a one-time incident. And they take it as, this is the gold or this is all it is. Yeah. I think there's many elements when it comes to the one-on-one relationship. I guess not not so much one-on-one, but just a relationship in general when you're dealing with supervisors and subordinates, right? I mean, the first piece is, one of the first pieces is you got to have some credibility, right? You can't, it's difficult for you to provide feedback to someone who is your, do I dare say, superior when you have no credibility and no type of uh, connection. So case in point, it's almost like when your mom tells you, like, yo, your your room is dirty. And you turn around and you tell your mom, like, well, your room, my room is dirty, but um, you don't never keep your room dirty. But, like, bro, that's your mom. You know what I mean? There's a reason why. It's probably a reason why her room is always dirty. She's got to go to work. She's got to go to school, whatever. But then you take another example and you say, well, I noticed, sir that your office is always in disarray and you're never on time for appointment. And you yourself just got an Article 15 for being a dereliction of duty and you you fill in the blank. So if, if I'm that superior or commander or whoever it was he was talking to, I'm not going to receive what you're telling me because it's like, who are you to tell me right. that I can't, I can't get to my appointments on time. Right. And you just got there, you know, you just got Article 15. Now, now go to the actual, another example is if you are on a, if you're in a section and you've noticed your supervisor for some reason, when he addresses the whole section, he's using different ways of explaining things where people don't understand. He's never looking them in their eye. So then you go to the supervisor and say, hey, look, I noticed when you were talking to us during these flight meetings, you're never looking at us in the eye and you never ask us at the end of the meeting if there are any questions or feedback. That's big. I think you are you are putting us in a position like we don't matter, like it's like your way or the highway. And then he turns around and says, well, 
funny you say that. I mean, what do you know? You're a staff sergeant. Right. I've been doing this for 18 years. I've had three or four sections in the past five or six years. I won this Matchcom award as a leader. Who are you to tell me? Once you once you get a once you become a master sergeant, then you can talk to me. That is one of the worst worst pers- I mean there are many, but there's the worst perspective you can have as a leader. Because in the end, it's just like I can't remember the name of the book, but it's like the pyramid structure. The pyramid structure where you have, some people think if you're the leader, you're at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's inverted. The leader is at the bottom. Everyone that works for the leader is actually at the top of the pyramid because you you as a leader, you try to do things to support them so they can get the job done. But in the end, mentorship, just the idea of learning especially to be a leader, is continuous. It's not just about, okay, well, I can only learn for someone who is at a higher position or rank. You can learn from anybody. I got one particular story when I remember when I was a master sergeant and we were deploying to Baghdad International Airport. And we were, no, disregard, Talil. We was, we was deploying to Talil to do... Um, I think it was convoy missions. It was like DV convoy missions. And I've never, I've never did a convoy mission, but I've been to Iraq twice already. And it was a four or five man team and they were all pretty close. But, you know, for me being a team lead, of course, they try to avoid me because I'm trying to keep them focused on the mission, not get in trouble, whatever. But anyway, we get down into the training area, the regional training facility and these instructors were having us run through these drills, these action drills about getting hit with IED or ambush. Right. And so me being a master sergeant that I am, type A, you know, I'm trying to get out there and lead these guys. <laughs> we were getting fired up, killed. We were getting we were getting killed. And this is all training. Yeah, we okay. was all training. Yeah, thank God it was all training. <laughs> yeah. And the instructors were just looking at me like, hey, you a master, you need to lead them. And and be honest, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then the next drill, drill number four, we were going into another ambush. And the staff sergeant, Staff Sergeant Clark, Anthony Clark, never forget that dude. Um, he tried to warn me like, hey, hey, Mass Sergeant. It's funny, he always called me Mass Sergeant because he's been deployed a couple of times okay. with the Army. So that's how he talks. Hey, right. hey Mass Sergeant, <laughs> hey, I think this is a, a ambush up on this in this road. We should do this. I said, got it. Press through. So we go out there. Next thing you know, stinking truck comes out of nowhere. We getting fired at. And I'm like... Hey, everybody dismount. He was like, Massar, Massar, we need to press, press through, through, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, get out and defend, blah, blah, blah. And we got killed. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> finally, man, the, the team wouldn't talk to me. And and I didn't give two ducks anyway. But I thought about it that night because I was scared as hell. Like, yo, I don't want to get nobody killed. And so I thought about it. I was like, at some point, you got to swallow your pride. So I went to the staff sergeant. And I said, hey, look, man. Hey, I see you was right earlier and stuff. And. And I was like, hey, I apologize, bro. I was like, what can I do better? He's like, look, you can just, you say, Master, if you just listen to us, mm, mm. if you listen, mm. then we'll be all right. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, overmind your authority. You're in charge. But if we got the experience, you know, just listen to us. 
So I said, all right, I got you. You right, man. I said, you know what? Okay. So we go out there to the next drill, and they're about to hit us again. And I said, hey, Clark, you in charge. Mm. I told the whole team, I said, you in charge. Treat me as just like the other team. In the end, don't make any decisions. Let me know what you're about to do, and then we're going to act on it. So once we had that situated, the next day we started the next drills, and Clark was in charge, and he was briefing me. I let him lead the team brief, the op for, the op rep brief. He was on it. He was like, hey, Matt, sorry, and I think this, this, that, and third. I said, okay. And the team members, they did look a little like, like why is the staff starting in charge, whatever. Matt, sorry, ain't doing nothing, whatever. So anyway, we riding, and then instructors was hitting us with a couple of exercises and we were killing them man and no and don't, hey and i'm gonna tell you it wasn't like the same exercises we were experiencing the other four times these were new scenarios oh, okay it's like i think they didn't expect the staff starting to be in charge they probably was like yo we gonna break this squad but this staff starting was like calling out stuff he was like do this do this master sergeant we need to blah 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 i said execute you he was on it. And then in the end, like the the cadre was like so impressed. And it was like, hey, hey, Master Sergeant, blah, blah, blah. You got it. What did you do? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was like, hey, that was Sergeant Clark right there, man. I said, I just listened to the dude. He knew he's got the experience. And in the end, you know, I addressed the team and said, look, make no mistake. As the Master Sergeant, the team leader or squad leader, I have full responsibility for the success and failure of this team. But because Saren Clark has been in this position before, I consider him the subject matter expert. And when we get into these situations, he will help guide us through whatever scenario we have going on. So it's as if you're getting the order from me. So just follow suit. And sure enough, man, after that, um, I learned a lot of stuff from him mm-hmm. during that training exercise. And when we deployed, I mean, I I was confident. Right. And I had a, a solid IC. And he wasn't the senior ranking guy next to him. There was two tech sergeants. But this guy was battle-hardened. He's been with the Army several times. But anyway, so going back to your original point, what I learned from that is, is like, you know, being a leader is being humble. You know, be, you being humble and having some humility at the same time. You don't know everything. And sometimes you're the best things you can get to get, the, you know, glean to get the mission done. It's from people on your team and they may not be the same rank as you. Mm-hmm. They may be in a lesser rank than you. I hate to say lesser, but a lower rank than you. You just got to give them the platform and then close. don't have a closed mind so you can receive feedback from them. But I think the reason why I worked is because he had credibility. He right. knew what he was doing, right? right? Now, if we was the same scenario and I'm getting out there and the guy didn't know nothing either, he said, hey, man, sorry, you're messing up. Like, bro, you don't know what the hell you're doing either. Right, right. You know? Right. I, let me uh, kind of introduce who I'm talking to to give you some credibility behind your stories. Uh, Chief Bassar and Dana Council, tw- 20 years plus of security forces? We we working on 20 years? Tw- bro, I... 25, 25 years. 25 years. All right, 25 plus years. How many deployments we, we said? Three? Man, I've been on. Man, give me a second. Oh, it's here been we a go. while. Let's see. Mm-hmm. He counting. I would say thing. about maybe eight. Eight, eight deployments. Okay. And I'm, going, so, I'm about to go on another one. Okay, so we're going to hit that, that big milestone of 10. 
Uh, yeah, if I'm if my count is right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is uh, so yeah. That's who I'm speaking to right now. We're talking a little bit. That's how the conversation started. Before we turn the mics on, we're talking about leaderships and problems. Kind of, I'm having with uh, different people in my uh, organization with leading. But uh, we said an interesting thing that you lead from the bottom up, pretty much like you said with the pyramid. And I think I, I saw an interesting story that somebody once said about leadership and they were trying to do motivation and they're basically like picture a hole that you have to dig or you just dug a hole and you have to put the the dirt back in the hole fill the mm-hmm. hole i mean yeah. that's the best example fill the hole mm-hmm. and you fill the hole it's very interesting he said from the top down mm-hmm. not from the bottom up and yeah. basically what he's saying is you put your lower ranking to the side and you as a senior ranking grab the shovel and you start putting in the dirt inside the hole so you dig it from the top down so the go ahead you look like you have that look on your no, face that no 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 you just hit mistaken. a nerve man yeah. I just, i'm bad with non-verbal no, no you no, hit a you... nerve because it's the it's true it's like it's i remember real quick just real quick this past friday i walk in the office and my exec is out there and he's scrubbing the carpet in the in the in the, in the hallway and I just stopped and I said, yo, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I'm trying to clean the stain out this carpet. I said, well, how did that happen? I'm thinking like maybe the ceiling was leaking. And he was like, nah, the stain has been here for a while. So Mr. J, he's a civilian. He tried to get out, but he didn't. So I'm trying. And he's scrubbing. I was like, bro, you need some help? Right. He was like, no, no, I got it, Chief. I was like, look, I said, hey, I applaud you for doing it. But nobody's telling you to do this. But I really appreciate it. But I won't know if you need help unless you tell me. Man, right? Yeah. And so he said, yeah, I got it, Chief. And so then later on that day, I walk in the office. We're joking about something. And he says, oh, yeah, I got to go outside and clean the colonel's car, staff car. I said, wait a minute. Why are you cleaning it? And he was like, oh, because it's dirty and LRS only does it once a month. I said, yo, let me help you. No, I got it, Chief, blah, blah, blah. I said, look, Mac. No one's telling you to clean the commander's car. And I would bet if he knew you were cleaning it, he would tell you not to do it. And I applaud your efforts. But don't assume because of the position I'm in that I don't want to participate or help in that. If anything, I'm just as responsible as you are. We want to all support the boss. Make sure he rides in a nice staff car and is clean. But don't assume because of somebody's rank or position that they are too high up in the food chain to do work like that. If anything, we want to do it because that's part of like leading by example. Right. There is nothing wrong with a chief taking out trash or vacuuming floors or wiping down windows. There's nothing wrong with that. And if if you have a leader that cannot do the simple things that his own people do, then that's a problem. Right. It goes back to what Jordan said in his documentary. You know, if you haven't seen, you should check it out, man. It's awesome. The Last Dance, right? Yeah. Michael Jordan. Yep, yep, yep. He said, I would never ask my fellow players to do something that I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And that's big. So when people look at leaders in general, leaders are more than just, I put it like this. This is just my perspective. This is just Chief Counsel's personal perspective. When I was in a unit, I always said to seniors or master sergeants and tech staffs or whatever, I said, I would rather have someone who is good with people versus being good at the job. Now, you may say, well, what sense does that make? Let me explain it to you. 
If you have, let's say you have a master sergeant who was once a 3P, once a cop, and they went off to be a first sergeant, MTM, career assistant advisor, whatever. They've been out the game four, five, six years, whatever. They come back. They come back to a unit. They've been out the game so long. They don't remember anything about 3P. But one thing they do know is people, right? If they take care of the people, the people are going to cover up whatever blemishes he or she has. He may not know a dang thing about a traffic stop. He may not know anything about blotters or about bomb threats or nothing. But if he took care of the people, they're going to help him get him up to speed. Now, if you flip it and you have somebody comes back, they know the career field, super sharp. They know the job, but they're terrible at people. You say, hey, Master Sergeant, hey, I just noticed that, you know, when troops are going out there doing traffic stops, people are not stopping on the road. Why are you here? Oh, I just can't. You should be on the road, right? Okay, well, get back out to the road. Let me worry about it. That's why I get paid as a mass sergeant. All right. It's just a complete a-hole. Right. Eventually, the people are going to let you fail. And not only that, even if that's the case, they're not going to work hard for you. That is so key when you're dealing with people from a leadership mindset. You've got to take care of them. When they say, I think I heard it somewhere, it says, mission first, people always. That's true. That's brilliant. Because mission is important. But if the people, if you're not taking care of the people, what good is the mission then? And I think a lot of people don't, it's funny, know how to take care of people. A lot of people have kids and stuff like that. But when they come to work, it's like they forget this is part of your family. And when we, we use the words in, in the Air Force, it's family. We don't, we have brothers and sisters. We use it very often. You know, mm-hmm. I even tell all my staff sergeants, you know, where's your brother at? And that's all his staff sergeants. And then I say, where your kids at? And those are all his troops. And those are the terms that we use. And a lot of times we got to remember to take care of your people as if they are your brothers and sisters. And we can't just use this as a punchline. Right. It's important what you said about the environment or the mission and the people. Because mm-hmm. Simon Sinek, I know you know who that is. I oh, listen yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I listen to him quite often. He really? had this, uh, yeah. He had this opposing question that was, what's more important? And when you put it on this level, it makes people think, what's more important, the people or the environment? If you only could choose one, are you going to take care of your people or are you going to take care of the environment? And a lot of people go 50-50 with this. A lot of people say, oh, the environment, people, people, Mm -hmm. environment. You know, if I take care of the environment, the people will thrive. I take care of the people, the environment will thrive. And he took the look at prison. Prison is an environment, mm-hmm. and that's a, and this environment where they don't take care of the people. The people take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the CEO is not sitting there really every day, sitting there mentoring people, talking to the prisoners. This is what you need to. Do. Mm-hmm. They just kind of let them do their own thing. And you, we all hear stories or seen documentaries or whatever how those situations thrive. Whereas if you, I don't care if you work in McDonald's, and we all you always use McDonald's. McDonald's is not a bad job. But we always use that that's example. <laughs> we we always use that example. Like that's like your starter job. When most people start off, that's where you kind of start 16, 17, you know, that's where your starter job. So we use that example. But if you take care of your people, like you said, they're gonna take care of you. So you got the fry man sitting there making fries. 
Mm-hmm. You can always tell the best McDonald's by how your fries taste, I think. If you're always getting the fresh fries, good. somebody's mm-hmm. taking care of that person. Mm-hmm. Or they just have that mind frame yeah. where I'm mm-hmm. going to make the best fries I ever made. And there's mm-hmm. not going to be a... Because I'm sure everybody knows this analogy. I think you even use this a couple of times. Nobody likes to go to McDonald's. You get your nice little number nine. That's what I get, the double cheeseburger. The number or another two cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. You get the number nine, you get your fries. And the first thing everybody does is grab the fry. I don't yeah. care who mm-hmm. you are, you reach in the bag and you grab your fries. Mm-hmm. And the worst feeling is them to be stale or cold. Yeah. And you're just like, it ruins God. the whole meal. It ru- ruins mm-hmm. the whole meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when they're hot and fresh, where you put them in, they're like, ooh, these is hot. I can't even eat them right now. Mm-hmm. The salt's still stuck mm-hmm. to your fingers. Yeah. And you lick the salt off your yeah. fingers. Those yeah. are like, this is like, it don't even matter what the burger tastes yeah. like. This man, is made me want something now, man. <laughs> this, but you could, I could always look at it and say, somebody's taking care of their people. Yeah. Some, the, even though the manager doesn't get the credit. He gets all the blame. Yeah. But somebody's taking care of that man. And yeah. it's a it's a great feeling that they will never even feel. Cause I'm not gonna pull over, go inside and be like, where's the manager at? Thank you for taking care of him because we we, you know, too busy in the time frame or whatever. Same thing in the military. And we mm-hmm. seem to forget about our people. And back to your story about the staff sergeant when um he was in charge. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, Why is this guy in charge? And yeah, I'm surprised. And did it make you feel discredited? about your position because you were there to be the team leader that's what you got put in charge of is to be the team leader and mm-hmm. to have that humble leadership and we always use these terms and you can use them onesie twosies like oh yeah i was humble this time mm-hmm. oh, i was humble but to it's more of of a lifestyle you have to live it's more of what you create of that humble right. leadership so right. back to my question you was put there to be in charge and for whatever how long it took y'all to go to that training facility Everybody knew you were in charge, whether you flew or drove or whatever. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, this mass arm council, he's in charge of us. So if anybody got questions, if anybody said, if you're at the airport or wherever, they say, who's in charge? Boom, they go straight to you. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. Right. So then for you to be put in that situation, what did that feel like it did to you, maybe your credibility at the time to put somebody else in charge? Do you feel like it lessened it or how did how did you approach that aspect? Oh, it was tough, man. I mean, I had to, no one... No one likes to be put in a position where they have to admit, first you have to admit to yourself like, hey, look, you are not the expert at this. And not only that, you have to realize like you need to get it together. It would have been probably, it would have been easier on, a lot easier on my ego to just say, look, all right, I'm going to keep fighting through it, fighting through it, fighting through it. It would have been easy. But then you look at the big picture. You taking these four or five guys down to the desert, and if you you may you may get the training, you may get it, but in the end, do you want to take the chance and figure it out on your own? Because like I think by that time we only had one more week till we were finished. Did you want to take the chance to figure it out on your own and get somebody killed? Or is it best to not only listen to the instructors, mm-hmm. listen to the people on your team and help get you through it? Because in the end, I mean, I wish I had a dictionary in front of me, but that would be my definition of a team. Right. It's not just one person. It's everybody, right? And so I meant the first scenario when we got through it with, you know, in a blaze of glory and everybody's like, yay, you know, it felt bad because it's like, yo, well. 
all I did was like, hey, Clark, what do you think is going on? What we should do? Okay, let's execute. Mm -hmm. That's all I did. But then I try to push that to the side and say, okay, well, look, the team is happy. We're meeting our training objectives. Mm -hmm. Their confidence is soaring. In the end, that's what you want. So as time went on, I started to learn more with them, learn, 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 learn. And shoot, lo and behold, I'm gaining his trust. And now I'm gaining his trust. The other people are seeing it. And instead of them saying like, oh, this is the master sergeant. He's in charge. He's master sergeant counsel. They didn't see me as master sergeant counsel, the squad leader. They saw me as one of them. Right. And in the end, we all wanted to win. It wasn't just them. It was just all of us. So in the end, it got to the point when we got to the location, it wasn't like, hey, Sergeant Clark, this. It was like, hey, Mass, hey, Sergeant Council, what about this? What should we do? Blah, 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 this, that, and the third. And then I'll be like, hmm, well, this is how we were trained, so we're going to do this. Anybody got any questions or comments? And then they would chime in. We would talk about it. We would execute it. So whereas before, it was just like, Mass Sergeant Council's calling all the shots. Mm. So in the end, we all we were all in it together. It was like it's like one of those things where you put your hand out and you wait till everybody put their hand in at the same time. It was the same thing. So we are all invested at the same time. So at that point, I think as leaders, man, we just gotta be able to put our personal feelings aside. A lot of times when we get put in a position where we're in charge, we feel like we should only have the answers. Right. And that's not true. We don't. And it's crazy because I've known you a number of years and your one quality that you have that I think a lot of people don't have, you had a mutant power. I know you're big on the X-Men. So if you had a mutant power, it would be listening. You had this uncanny ability to just sit back and hear what people say, process it, and then explain where a lot of people jump in and just more or less are listening to reply than listening to understand. Mm. And I think that's a big deal in leadership. And you said right. you said a prime example and something I like to do is as a leader, two ways you know you have somebody. If they do something wrong and they feel like they disappointed you, mm-hmm. that's big. And that you don't have to be mad at them. Yeah. More or less disappointing. They take it like almost like oh, your parents. Yeah. They're disappointed in you. And another way, an encouraging mm-hmm. factor, like you said, you just walk into a room Put your hand in the middle and see who else puts their hand in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's how you know that you at least got them for they will listen to you. Mm -hmm. If you put your hand in the middle and people are looking at you like, what are you doing? Even though everybody has done it from, I mean, preschool age, kindergarten age, we Mm -hmm. all do things as chance, whether you played on a football team, a baseball team, doesn't matter what sport. Mm -hmm. I can remember back in baseball. We got done, and I'll never forget this chant. You're going to laugh at me for it, but I'm going to give it to you right now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. We were young in Little League, and at the end of the game, whether we lost by 100 or we won by 100, it doesn't matter. We used to all put our hands in, and we say, two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? And we used to yell the other team's name. And they used to, <laughs> <laughs> and they used to do it for us. And oh, I'll never, no. right, that's what we used to do. That, and that's how you kind of show your sports, uh, yeah, sports, sports shit. Yeah. But the the reason for the example is our coach would always start it. That was his job. And don't matter what, how many years I played, it's probably like four or five years, the coach always started every game. All right, guys, put your hands in. All right, here we go. Y'all already know what we're going to do. And he would start because we're all looking at him like, who's going to start? 
who's going to start? And he would do the little hand chant or the hand movement. We would mm-hmm. all just say it. And it wasn't, you might have a bum feeling afterwards, but mm-hmm. for those 10 seconds of saying that little rhyme, yeah, you have a sense of, okay, this is bigger than just a game. And then the yeah. leadership aspect behind it. Back to your uh, story about the deployment aspect. Mm-hmm. How did that, after you did that experience and you said that you guys went on to deploy together, mm-hmm. what situations did you have to maybe use somebody else's uh, experience and, and how did that kind of help out for maybe not that deployment or maybe later on where that experience of saying, man, I could listen to this staff sergeant, put him in position. And then also with that, were you afraid that he would fail? Because if he fails, it makes you look double worse because regardless, you're still in charge. I don't, you know, you could put somebody else in charge, but you are still, I should say, responsible for the outcome of the success or failure with that. So what kind of feeling did that have? Like, okay, I know he talks a good game. Mm -hmm. He sounds like he knows what he's doing, but is he really going to react? And then the second question to that is, is there any been other, any other experience where you might have to use that philosophy and it maybe it didn't work out or maybe it worked out again? Oh, that's, man, that's a good, the last one, that's a really good question. So interestingly enough. We ended up going to, what was it, man? Let me think. Give me one second because I'm old. Oh, you old. Yeah. Yeah. We went, we went to Baghdad International. This was, it was the time when they were about, about to, to close, close Iraq, right? But we got there and we found out that they canceled the mission. We didn't even have to do convoys after that. Okay. Right? It stopped in the middle, right? We only did like one or two. And uh, so all that training we, was for nothing. Well, no, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't because we still, we had to travel off the five, but it wasn't to the the type of degree we we know we was trained for. But the interesting thing is now the mission changed to securing biop. Okay. And so now, Siren Clark, who felt a sense of purpose because he's used to doing convoys, and we put him in a position as a SME, mm. he was no longer the SME, mm. right? Because now I'm put in a position where not only am I taking care of them, I'm taking care of a bunch of reservists and National Guard guys with some active duty on flight because we were working flight operations at the time. How many people was this? It was uh, 65 people. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So it was the operations changed. So anyway, it got to a point I had to tell Clark, like, hey, look, I know we're not doing it now, but, bro, I need you out there taking care of these people. You know what I mean? I need you I need you in another capacity now. Mm. No, we're not out there, you know, in the thick of it getting shot at. We were getting rocketed and mortared every day, but we knew we wasn't going to get any bullets. I mean, it wasn't to the end we got shot at. It was like, it wasn't even at the bases. Like, we heard gunshots. But the rockets and mortars was coming, like, frequent because they were about to close at the time. And so I put him in a position where I made him a squad leader for a certain section of the base. And at first he was upset because the people he had in the squad in that area, the National Guard guys reservists. If you're a National Guard reservist out there, hey, just don't take this away the wrong way because it's not all <laughs> y'all. Yeah. But man, you have a lot of people that volunteer to go and they just get this idea where they're going to be going out there like fighting the Taliban hand to hand with a knife in their mouth or whatever. And <laughs> right. they get out there, they're just doing regular flight operations and they get pissed, right? So some of them not some of y'all end up not being motivated, whatever. But anyway, it he got out there and he he earned the trust of those guys out there and it worked out well, man. We was able to get out of there with no problems. We left, closed that joint down. So 
I never thought, it never crossed my mind that, you know, what if he's wrong? Mm. Because I looked at it as like, I already committed, you know? Because yeah. like, Good you point. know, they Once tell- you commit, yeah. Yeah, they tell, like my boss tells me all the time and I agree with it. I have some some disagreements, but for the most part, I agree with it. He says that when commanders are commissioned, they are they are in charge regardless. They bear the, they, that's what he said. They bear the burden of command. So in other words, if something goes wrong, something goes, if something goes wrong, they take full responsibility. And as chiefs, we always say, well, that's not true because if the commander get fired, we get fired. In some cases, yes, but the commander gets it the most. And so I look at it as the same as if you're appointed in charge of a group of people. If something goes wrong, you bear the burden of being the leader. So, yeah, I knew if, if, he, if he was wrong, oh, well, you know, it ain't going to be him. It's going to be on me. But at the same time, you got you to gotta be able to weigh the odds and figure out to some degree how much rope or latitude you can give somebody. Well, the odds is people's lives. Yeah. So that's that's a mm-hmm. heavy burden to hold, if yeah. they, and I'm guessing nobody got lost during those missions or closing oh. down. Okay, no, 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 no. But I mean, to, to that same point, it is you have you have. I mean, you think about it. In a lot of engagements, you read about a lot of the the battles where people were involved with um, dire straits. You know, like you know odds and things of that nature. If you look at the team. It wasn't to the point where the leader was the single point of failure. You had people across the team that could make decisions on the fly, right? And so I would gather that the leader probably, it may have crossed his mind, but he never probably, a good leader would never say, okay, in the heat of a battle, only I can make the decision, nobody else. Mm. A leader would say, yes, this could go wrong, this could go wrong. But my people are trained. There you go. They're going to be able to handle it. And go. he just moves out. And in fact, your Russia, your China, your Iran. Oh, national defense. National, national defense. defense. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So those countries, those, those countries that we consider are our competitors, near peer competitors, China or Russia. One of the things we have an advantage over them is we don't have issues with our commanders or leaders in the field being able to make decisions. They don't have to call back to the to to the command post or to the theater to say, "Hey, the enemy is doing this. Can I do this?" Hey, you make a decision. Right. You just roll with it. Whereas with these other countries, because of the way they run military wise and their political government, they always have to get permission to do something first. Mm-hmm. That's what makes us unique. And it's the ability to be flexible. You got to be able to be flexible and just know like, hey, look, my guys are trained. We're going to move out on this and then go with it. And that's interesting that you would take that perspective because what if you're wrong? Yeah. What, you know, it's like, what? and maybe this is an example of nothing going wrong and that you got put in the position that you're in mm-hmm. because I'm thinking if something were to go wrong, everybody's looking to point the finger. Yeah. Everybody's looking to point the finger. And it's even, it's interesting that we get in situations and, uh, you know, it's just part of base security and stuff like that, that we'll have something simple, like, you know, a, a, a vehicle accident. They happen all the time, something simple. And they mess up on the report. They mess up on the paper. The first person they come to is, you know, the flight sergeant. The very first, even though the name on the paper is a report. 
why did this go wrong? You know, and you're not mm-hmm. out there. You're sitting, you know, on the computer or you're getting coffee or you're BSing in, in the hallway or you're actually doing some different kind of work, mentoring another troop. And the mm-hmm. first thing they say is, what happened? And it makes you almost look discredited of a leader or make, maybe it makes you feel discredited about mm-hmm. a leader. And that's probably even worse. The, not really the look, but the internal feeling. Mm-hmm. Because the first thing you do is somebody jumps on you, you just throw the apple further down the tree and dump, mm-hmm. jump on somebody else. And it's mm-hmm. the internal feeling that, hey, I did something. I did something. I see that I sparked another nerve or sparked another conversation. No, I yeah. See I mean, that's just the thing with leadership, man. You you take all the blame and you give all the credit. So whose fault, if we were to say, maybe fault is the wrong word, but how do you internally take that and know that maybe it's how you build your character or where your credibility is the better word Mm -hmm. where your credibility is at in the unit because if you have strong credibility somebody can say this be like yeah he had a one-time thing Mm -hmm. you know yeah everybody's gonna mess up we're not perfect and we're not robots as much as you would like to program people we're not robots and i think some of the worst leaders are the people who like people to be programmed yeah. They'll do it the way they want them to do it mm-hmm. and kind of take all the autonomy out of them mm-hmm. and just say, hey, do it the way I want to do it. But it's hard to manifest that feeling that everybody's looking at you and, you know, saying this name, you know, Brown, Brown's this, Brown's that, Brown's right. that. And it's just be like, man, what did, what did I do? Like, it wasn't really all me. And then internally take that, look at Smith, who messed up all the paperwork, who was mm-hmm. the person to blame. And not be like, Smith, what in the hell is going on? Why did you mess all this yeah. up? When internally, I'm not really mad at you for messing up the paperwork. I'm mad that other people are getting on me. So I feel like I got to get on you kind of to yeah. get all that out. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was an airman, some master sergeant told me, he said, I think he was defending us about something. And he said that that's why senior NCO stripes are designed the way they are. They look like roofs of a house. Right. So when the rain comes, it falls on us and we separate it from y'all. You get under the stripe, we take care of y'all. I like that. I like that. I like that. And so in the end, I take that as as a leader, y'all. Our job is to, you know, we're going to take the bullets for y'all. I mean, maybe that's not a good analogy, but we're going to take the heat for y'all. If we're on a team, if I'm the leader... I may know you messed up on something, but I'm not going to go in there and be like, sir, the mission went wrong because of blah, blah, blah. No. I'm like, hey, the mission went wrong because I failed at this, that, and the third. This is what we're going to do to fix it. Now, I may come to you be like, bro, you didn't do blah, 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 this, that, and the third. We're going to get it together. But I'm not going to go out there and put you on front street and say, you're the reason why we failed. Ultimately, I failed as the leader. But on the flip side, if we succeed and you did something to contribute to that, some key, they're like, oh, you know, counsel, y'all did it, blah, blah, blah. Hey, sir, the reason why we did it is this, because of this man right here. My team performed well, especially this guy, this, that, and third. It ain't about me. Mm. It's about the team, right? Mm-hmm. And a good example is like, you know, when you win something for the, like, say the unit wins an award, any end, yeah, you know, your your commander, your chief, your they kind of put out their vision. Like when we won Best in Air Force in 2019. What was this at? Uh, 2018, Kadena, right? Okay. Uh, um, at the 18th right? Uh, Okanawa, Japan. Uh, Japan, Japan. Yeah. So when we won in Okinawa, Japan, Best in the Air Force, that's huge. We, you know, we're a large unit, so that's huge, right? 
How many people in the uh, Oh, man, team? it was 300. Usually it's 320 and above. So okay. we was like 440. God, That's, okay. you know, personal. It was 345 military and the rest were civilian, right? Gotcha. And so for us to win best in the Air Force, and keep in mind, we won three-time PACAF best large three years in a row. So we were killing it, right? And so... We we had our own problems. We had a lot of uh, disciplinary problems and stuff like that, but they were killing it performance-wise. So anyway, to my point, we knew that, yeah, we put out our vision of what we wanted, what we would like to see the unit go, and we supported the troops. So if they needed something, we would give them that. If we couldn't give it to them, we would explain why. We went out there. We tried to do stuff with the troops to keep them going, right? And when we won... I mean, make no mistake. Yeah, we put out a vision out, but they had to execute it. Mm-hmm. They get all the victory out mm-hmm, of it. Because mm-hmm. you can say whatever you want. And that's why I say the pyramid is so, that concept of the pyramid, flipping it, is so critical. If you're at the top of the pyramid and you're looking down saying, hey, I want you to do this, do that, do this, do that. Yo, they got to be able to execute it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think the pyramid is flipped, like most people say. It's because... I'm here to support you. So it's like almost like I'm putting my hands out holding the pyramid up. You guys need this. I'm pushing it up to y'all. So that way you guys get all the shine because you're performing you're performing the mission. So and to your second point, yeah, to your second point as far as like how do you stop, you know, taking backlash because of your people that fail. Yeah, blaming all your people. Blaming like, all your yeah. people. So looking down, basically they're pointing pointing their finger at you. And you take the finger and point it at somebody yeah, else. Yeah, that's the worst thing you can do. That's the first, that's one of the easiest way to, ways to lose credibility in your people. Mm. You don't, you do not pass the blame. That's how you avoid losing credibility to that. You have to just understand. And it's not just about being, an, you know, a commander or a chief. It goes all the way down to being an airman. If you are appointed to be in charge, you do not pass on the blame. If you're going to, if you know what went wrong with a particular task, you still say as the team leader, you're ultimately responsible. But then you go to that person to the side and y'all have a conversation. You don't sit there and you don't ridicule them in front of everybody. Is there ever a time that you need to do that? I That's guess kinda... I guess it depends on first when you do it, it has to be a purpose behind it. Oh, okay. okay. You don't never like the emotion. That's the key, the emotion part, right? And you have to weigh because, like in certain situations, there is a benefit to getting a person in front of everybody. But when you do it, you're taking a risk because one, you need to know your people. There are some people that you can do that. Four, and that would get them to turn around their performance quickly. Mm. Then you have some people, even if it's something obvious, like, hey, look, we just had guard mount, you know, your uniform is jacked up, and you lose them. And that's, we didn't discuss that, but everybody is different. Everybody does not respond to the same stimuli the same way. Right. So when leaders say, oh, well, I've always done it like this for years and blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't need to be around no more. Mm. It's not plug and play anymore. Everybody responds to different stimuli in different ways. And that's what makes, I think, leadership challenging 
is emotional intelligence, understanding people. Chief Master on Air Force right, man. I tell you, he, this guy, I mean, he's obviously a lot of people look up to him, which I'm not surprised. What's, what's his nickname? It's, um, uh, K. Wright, Enlisted Jesus. Enlisted Jesus. You know, there yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, well, you have a nickname like that. You got to be yeah, doing something man. right. And you know what? It's because, you know, I always heard that stuff and I admit, I was like, ah, yeah, you know, he's a good guy, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I read his bio, whatever. And, uh, the first time I met him, I know we're getting off topic, but this, I'm going nah, to bring it back around. You're good, you're but good. When I first met him, man, it was like that Charlie Murphy moment. And uh, <laughs> when he had, he had the aura around him. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, my God, bro. And I was like, yo, that's, he kept like, hey, blah, 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 just like my man DC there. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yo, he said me. My wife was like, he said you. I was like, oh, I was like, keep it together. I'm like, man, he's just a dude like God, me. Now, I'm a chief, yeah. too. I'm a chief, too. And then afterwards, at the party, man, it was the same thing. I swear, it was just like that true Hollywood stories with Charlie Murphy. I was walking around, with my, and my wife wasn't with me because she was talking to somebody else. And then just like that part in the skit when he's like, Charlie Murphy. It's just like, he's like, DC. He just came out of nowhere, and he just started smiling. Bro, I was just frozen. And we were, you know, he was chatting. He was like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was like, hey, I like your suit, like your shoes. Hey, you need to buy some better shoes. They're going to be comfortable. You should get these. I said, all right. He said, all right, but give me your number. So I said, 623-856, blah, 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 blah. He said, no, DC, your cell number, your personal number. What number and were you giving him? I was giving him my work phone number. Ah, you know what I'm saying? Okay, I didn't know. Okay, like, okay, you know I got I mean? you. Okay. And so my left side of my brain was like, bruh, give him the number. My right side of the brain was, why is he asking for your number, man? It's a trick. It's a trick. So I gave it to him. And sure enough, man, the next day, he sent me a text like, hey, you should check out this link, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Good luck in the course. Yo, if you need anything, hit me up. And I was floored. Like, usually people especially on a celebrity status, right? Mm. When they say, like, hit me up, whatever, they don't really mean it. Yep. But I tell you, Chief Wright, yo, he means it. And mm. I, I've, I have spoken to him via text many times about a number of issues and advice and things. Even if just, he would, shout, he would text me, check up on me or whatever. And to me, that is a good example of being able to connect with people. When you are a leader, that's why it goes back to what I was saying about, yes, it's good if you know your job. If you're really good at your job, that's great. But it's even better if you're good with people. Mm -hmm. Because if you can connect with people, you're able to see if they're having a bad day, a terrible day, whatever emotion they may go through. And you don't have to ask. You know how people say, oh, intrusive leadership. Go talk to your people. How are you doing today? Right. Well, that's small talk. But if you know your people, you don't even have to have that long conversation. You can walk in and be like, like when I walk in my office, I'll be like, hey, guys, what's up? Happy Friday. What's today? What's today? And I know in unison, they're going to say, we're on the goal line. Yeah. What play are you running? But if I walk in. And somebody doesn't say it, I know something's wrong. Mm. I said, Miss Kathy, everything good? Oh, I was sick yesterday, blah, blah, blah. You good? You need anything? Oh, I think I'm going to, yeah, you should go home early. Go home. We good, Miss Kathy. Don't worry about it. I'll sit back there and do your job or whatever. But that's that connection. 
too often people, when they go to work and they work with people, it's, I mean, I imagine it's, it's even more, don't get me wrong, it's difficult as a flight chief, you know, security forces, especially if you got like a large flight. But that makes it even more of a challenge. Your job as a leader of a flight is more than just EPRs and decorations and ride around chicken posts. That's your chance to interact with people, learning their life stories, even sharing something about yourself. You know, when people talk about like social media, I don't have social media, blah, 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 blah. You're missing out because your troops have it. Mm -hmm. And that's how they get their information. And when you try to close yourself off so all they know you is what you do at work, you're missing an opportunity. They should know like, hey, you like to wear uh you, you like to wear J's or, you know, maybe when you come to work, you use a special kind of like uh, a comb or something or you wear a do-rag off. They should know. So when you come to work and you say, hey, what's going on? They say, I'm good. And that's it. You could be like, man, let me tell you, bro. I was I had got my hair cut the other day. I was going out on a date, man. And bro, I couldn't find my wave cap, man. Blah, blah. <laughs> and they started laughing like blah, 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 blah. And you'd be like, all right, man, you sure you good? And then that might be a icebreaker for them to, well, I did have this time this weekend. Well, tell me what happened, bro. You know, blah, blah, blah. That's how you connect with people. But it does you no good if all they know is sergeant or, you know, colonel or whatever, fill in the blank. All they know is when you come to work, you just about work. Right. And I think sometimes that that talk kind of resonates to me a lot because I'm like that. I'm really closed off at work, you know. I don't know if people know what I do because when they ask me, you know, how was your weekend? I was good. You know, one word answers. And it's it's actually a humbling feeling when somebody comes to me and they say, then what's wrong? Yeah. Man, and somebody yeah. of a lower status, mm-hmm. lower ranking, lower position, uh, under me, how you say it, can recognize that yeah, and has the ability or the the intestinal fortitude, whatever you want to use, to come up to, to you and say it. Because yeah. you could be like, get out of my face. Mm-hmm. Why are you asking me what's wrong with me? Yeah, You don't need to be concerned about it. Go to work. Yeah. You know, those, those kind of conversations. But to actually say it makes me think there's a meaning behind it. And it's ironic that every time it's happened... Something has happened to kind of throw me off, and I try not to show it, mm-hmm. and it's crazy. And although I'm in front of them every day and talking to them every day, so it's a little easier for them to see if something's wrong. I got you know 16 or 18, whatever it is, 20 people at the most to look at every day, mm-hmm. and sometimes I use that as an excuse. Like, oh man, I got 20 people to look at. You guys only have one. Of course, you would know what's wrong with me. And I think that's an excuse most of the time because mm-hmm. I don't take the five seconds, 10 seconds, two minutes to say, hey, bro, what you do this weekend? You know, mm-hmm. what's, what what happened this weekend? And I think we have a relationship now because the damn sure didn't start like that. I could have asked that question, you know, a year ago and they looked at me like I was it was good. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, sir. It's good, sir. I'm gonna go back to work now. You know, it's just short answers. And now it's kind of we almost have conversations we go to work yeah. on sunday and every sunday mm-hmm. they know the question is going to start how was your break yeah every single time and even though that's the same mundane question they still give me different answers every time yeah. and i can see the comfortability 
they have or being more comfortable they have with me because of the way we react after that. Whereas a year ago, it'd been like, good, fine. Now it's full-fledged kind of, oh, me and my wife did this, or me and my friend went out and did this, or I went out here and did this, or, you know, the state kind of reopened not too long ago. So, oh, it was a big thing. Oh, yeah. we went and did this. Mm-hmm. We went and did that. So I can yeah. I can see the reaction from and it's actually a good feeling. And if anything, it explains the number one thing as a leader I think you need is that trust. Yeah. They trust me enough to tell me what they did. Mm-hmm. And no matter how crazy it might sound to me, or oh, I went, you know, one of my guys, he likes to go off-roading. I've never been off-roading in my life. I have no idea what off-roading really entails. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it more or less I'm a research guy. So it puts me into research mode to say, let me see what this off-roading thing is like. I'm still not going to do it. But to actually look at the, you know, the equipment they use. What, mm-hmm. And when I say equipment, I mean vehicle, the yeah. tires mm-hmm. they have to use, the places the they lift, go. all that stuff. There you go. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, I was like, what is the fun in this? And yeah. it, it, it was funny, his example. I was like, you know, it just sounds like you just want to get stuck. And he said the goal is to go as far as you can without getting stuck, mm-hmm. but feel like you're going to get stuck. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. his fun. And that's mm-hmm. what he does. You know, me, I might go to the gym. I might play basketball or something. And that's my fun. Mm-hmm. But this is his fun. Yeah. And now we can tell stories about that because of the 10 minutes of research that it took me to ask the questions and figure this stuff out. And now I got some a topic of discussion. Like, hey, man, you go off-roading today? Or yeah. where'd you go this time? Yeah, yeah. Did you get stuck? Because you know the goal is mm-hmm. to get stuck. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk about it like that. And it it opens a full-fledged conversation. And I think it's important for the leader to do that. But it's just as important as you didn't grow up or you grew up in the chief mass sergeant council. Mm-hmm. You weren't born like that. You And I think a lot of people forget that you came up through the ropes. And, you know, we look at our parents the same way. Like, oh, they've just always been parents. Mm-hmm. You know, they've never been kids at all. And... It's hard to kind of look at it and be like, oh, man, like, he knows everything. He's the chief. Like, when I walk around mm-hmm. CTU, I'm like, he's supposed to know everything. Yeah. He's supposed to be intact. And sometimes you don't. Yeah, we don't. So how do you leverage that understanding of saying, or is it just as simple as saying, I don't know? Yeah. You know, they told us when we made chief, it's like, you're going to be in a glass bubble. And anything you say, more than likely, they're going to take it as, you know, that's the word of the day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the truth. Yep. And we get it wrong often. Chiefs get it wrong. I mean, leaders, we get it wrong often. We often forget, like, yo, when people when you when people hear you speak, they're gonna take your words face value as, hey, that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. And these days, it's so back in the day, man, when we used to like ask questions. We didn't have Google to check it or whatever. We <laughs> didn't know. Stuff, like, yeah. They would right. just tell us stuff and we'd be like, oh, well, just because the master sergeant said it or whatever. <laughs> Nowadays, man, I remember, let me see. There was one particular time um, I said, uh, oh, man, what was that? It was about decorations. I said, you know, decorations, we get cheaper metal, accommodation metal, whatever. Mm-hmm. I said, you have, you cannot get an achievement medal for only one week of performance. You can get one for outstanding achievement if you do something significant, like you pull somebody out of the car, blah, 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 blah. But they was trying to get a medal. This airman wanted to get a medal for three-week TDY. And I was like, nah, it ain't happening. I've never seen it before, blah, blah, blah. It's strictly forbidden. And then a week later, 
He looks in the AFI. Sure enough, it doesn't. There's no timeline. Mm. It depends on the person nominating. To me, that's a rookie question. Mm-hmm. That's something a chief should know. Mm-hmm. But because I never experienced it, mm. I just assume like it just ah, it's wrong. You can't do it. And it, you know that was embarrassing. I admit that was really embarrassing. Luckily, the airman was like, "Hey, like, hey, sir, hey, chief, it's all right." Maybe his mom's like, "You dirtbag," but right. I mean, still, he was like, "Hey, it's cool, but can I put?" It? I was like. Hey, you know, we'll shoot it up to the commander and see what they say. Now, don't get me wrong. I was trying to tell the commander at the time, like, hey, I don't think this is the right thing to do. It's only three weeks. Three weeks. But, you know, and that's a topic for another day. But uh, the airman ended up getting the medal. But I learned there, like, hey, you know, don't just assume what you say. They're going to take it for face value all the time. Some people will. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they're going to fact check you. And, you, you know, you're a human. Mm-hmm. You're a human being. Only thing you can do is just get better. So now when people ask me a question, if I don't know, I try to preface it by saying, you know, based on my experience, this is the answer, but I have to do some more research. And if they get upset and, they, you know, because a lot of times people just ask, not just chiefs, but people in leadership positions because they don't want to do the research. They just figure you're going to tell them and that's it. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you should always do your research, you know. So yeah, that was embarrassing. You just try to remember, like, hey, you know, man, it's 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 even harder. The more further up in position, special duty position you go into, man, it's really hard then. But you just do your best with what right. you have. So right. Well, I, I man, I think this was a, a great topic of conversation. I appreciate having this conversation with you. Uh, I hope that enlightened everybody who's gets a chance to listen to this and maybe take an aspect of looking in the mirror. And I think that's a big deal is looking in the mirror and figure out the issues or the problems. If you want to say negatively or the good things going right, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a person in the mirror uh, and take that leadership approach. But uh, I'm going to give you the floor for any last words that you want to say before we close this out. I mean, it's all yours. Yo, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to come out and share some thoughts on this podcast, unpopular celebrities, yeah. right? So I just want to remind everybody that if you need anything from me, you can hit me up on the email, government email. You can hit me up on the Facebook. I'm easy to find. There's a lot of Dana councils, but, you know, you'll find my my handsome face on there with my beautiful gal. Right. So you'll see me on there. Right. I also got the gram. Yes, some chiefs have the gram on there. It's under Philly Kid JDM. I know it's kind of weird, but it's like a page for my car. But. That's a way you can hit me up. I also got LinkedIn, so you can hit me up on that. And so the last thought I'll leave you with is continue chasing your dreams. Don't kick the can down the road because TikTok gunshot ball. Man, well, I appreciate it once again. Unpopular celebrities. This is why we made this podcast. Yeah, unpopular celebrity here right in front of me. (laughs) But we appreciate y'all joining in. We'll see y'all in the next one. Y'all be easy. Peace.